Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. Lots and lots to talk about today. We're making the introductions of each of ourselves optional if we want to do regular introductions or Kamala introductions. My name is Steve. You can see what I'm wearing and I am he and she. If anybody else You're wants he to- You're he and uh, she? Oh, Lord. No, not he and she, he and his. You see, that's what oh. happened. Oh my God! I'm mixed up already. Mixed up already. Okay. Oh, okay. That's so almost I'm, worthy of a do-over. <laughs> there's no do-overs. We have to keep that. Can't even edit that out. I can if I want, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm Gina. I'm the same uh, female uh -huh. that I was a day ago, and that I was born. So, Dilla Chick, what's up? <laughs> and what are your pronouns? Chick, cool chick. Cool chick. I'm making up my own. I don't know if that counts as a pronoun, but today it is. You're allowed to make up anyone you like, sure. Exactly, cool chick. <laughs> okay, anybody else want to do the long form introduction? Yeah, I'm Ed. I'm uh, wearing a, a blue shirt that's uh, written in uh, Hungarian. And uh, <laughs> I uh, have kind of sandy brown hair, although balding. A uh, bit of a three-day beard. Um, I'm a solid four, and my pronouns are uh, my lord. <laughs> okay. That's one pronoun and pronoun a noun, though. <laughs> Hacks as a pronoun. <laughs> Poetic license. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Anybody else want to take a stab? Uh, I'm not sure if I want to go <laughs> along with this one or not. My stab is that it. I'm Ed and Kamala is a complete idiot. Amen, <laughs> yes. And that was the polite censored version. Thank you. Kamala, Kamala, or is it really Kamila? <laughs> Let's just settle on jackass for sure. There we go. <laughs> Folks, there's so much going on. Every time I open up a computer or read something is another story that leapfrogs another story in its ridiculousness and possible importance. I really, at some point this week, thought the cannibalism story was the coolest story out there. And I don't know if anybody wants to chew on that a little bit. Hey, hey, don't steal my line. <laughs> I think I missed that one. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you know, the story was very well done. I just want to say. Okay, meet temperatures. I'll Come on, you got to keep up with me here. Come on. Okay, you got to read your show notes. The New York Times <laughs> did a story basically saying why is cannibalism get such a bad rap and maybe there really is a place for it. Yeah, I mean, like the old joke says, I, I had barely gotten my bug decorations off the walls before uh, going into cannibal season. I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's, um, it, yeah, it's pretty strange. And is it just part of the, chaos that they create in the world is it part of climate change kind of garbage i have no idea oh no i'm sure it's the climate change thing you heard the um you know james o'keefe's organization uh, talking project to, veritas project veritas it's uh, undercover talking to the cnn guy that uh, it's going to be all climate change all the all the time now on cnn pushing that uh mm -hmm. you know, nonsense so I have a feeling we're supposed to eat each other. Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, we're you know it's summer, it's hot out. I think we all know that, and so they're going to try and like. So actually, what I, now that I'm thinking about it, 
I think this is happening because the New York Times people are very literalist and they've been hearing people on our side of the aisle say for a long time, they're going to be eating each other. Well, I think that's ridiculous because in Venezuela, where they've implemented all of the leftist policies, they're actually eating their pets, not each other. So, yeah, but we've been saying, you know, we want to watch the left eat each other up. So, yeah. My reaction was, well, what do they know that we don't know? What's coming down the pike? How bad are economic times going to be? The zombie apocalypse. People eat each other's brains. Yeah, I mean, again, like 1984, that Soylent movie used to be fiction. Yeah, Soylent Green is now now prophetic. Maybe the vaccine's not enough for the population control. We need to eat each other. Okay, so speaking of vaccines... Ask Bill Gates. Speaking of vaccines, just for one minute, so Burks basically said we had absolutely no clue what the vaccines were going to do. Is that kind of what she said? Yeah. And we were kind of hoping yeah. they would work. There's a great um, great video about, uh, you know, Fauci just recently said, oh, I never said lock things down compared with his uh, his speech back then where I advised the president to lock everything down. So I, I think I think the fact that the vaccines don't work, which is driven by the fact that we've all got COVID, even though we've gotten the vaccine, um, is is finally making a dent in the uh, believability of our public health establishment. So they're all running backwards to try and, you know, get in front of the nonsense. Right. But, but to rewrite history by saying, oh, we never said that, which is just so absolutely unbelievable. But the press will eat most of that up. Forget about the press. I mean, that's their whole playbook, right? What was a recession is no longer a recession. What was marriage is no longer marriage. What was a woman is no longer a woman. They just change definitions of things when things don't suit their purposes. Yeah, when reality doesn't conform with their ideas, they change the definitions of their exactly. ideas. You know, vaccine by the way, I can't no remember, the same thing. Same thing remember who it was. It yeah. was somebody up on Tucker's level who channeled Ed Maslish, what he's been saying for so long. We put it in terms of it's not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy. It's done on purpose to show us. And if they didn't take that from you, Ed, somebody's pretty bright out there. But you've been saying that since we had the show. Yes, I have. Like we say, we're way far out, too far ahead of the curve here. So anyway, I have so much I want to talk about. So I'm going to ask Gina what she wants to talk about. I don't have anything in particular. There's a whole bunch of crap um well i'd like to talk maybe about the pence and uh trump show off that or not show off but face off that was yesterday that really wasn't um they were both speakers in washington dc for two different organizations um and i just love how it's become it's the trump pence showdown um and i think it's nothing of because i don't think pence has a chance of going anywhere um but that's what's been on my mind lately and what I've been talking about with people currently. I thought the speech was very good by Trump. He seems to be calming down uh, some of the things that he said. He's, his last two speeches, I should say, he sounded a lot more composed, calm, like somebody was like, don't talk out of your butt, be rational, be calm, have a, a smooth demeanor. And uh, I thought he, he did really well yesterday. Yes, I think um, I think Trump is learning 
I, I, I didn't think at some point he was able to learn, but I think he's somebody's gotten to him. He's got better people around him. He's got better ideas for filling the um, executive branch with uh, America First people. Uh, you know, it's not not possible because there aren't that many. But um, as long as they're in, you know, in the main ideas, you know, the main thing. And then we get the the reaction to Trump's uh, seeming like growing up a little bit with uh, the Justice Department now going to try and charge him with a crime for whatever January 6th nonsense they can come up with. Um, and I don't think they think they, you know, when they do charge him with, you know, obstruction of justice or whatever. Um, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if they uh, charged him with not uh, not uh, keeping his oath to take care that the laws are enforced properly, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be a good one. Uh, whatever they end up charging him, it's not because they're going to convict him. It's because they want to tie him up in court for hopefully more years than there are between now and uh, and 2024. Well, they'll also they'll try to do what they do in Israel, is they say if you're under indictment, you can't even run for higher office. Yeah, I don't think that's true in the United States, but I, I they'll try it. They'll try yeah, it. they'll try it. They're like, how can he run? He's under indictment. It's not true in Israel of the prime minister, but they try it anyway. Well, it's not fair that he can. So yeah, and that again, and it costs so much money to defend anything. I'm going right. to disagree with you, Ed, about Trump changing this, the way he speaks and stuff. I don't think he's capable of it, whether or not he's capable of changing policies and how he implements them possibly, but the way he talks, I don't think he has that in him. Well, I mean, he, he you should have listened to his speech in, um, where was it, Arizona or someplace, uh, Gina? Yeah, he was in Arizona before. Yeah, I think before this he, he was better. He was good. It, it, it is. It is. Right, and which he, means he could be disciplined for a half an hour, possibly. But the man's not going to change his stripes at 70 years old. So, and whatever. He has, you know, he has oral or verbal diarrhea at the very best. <laughs> Coming in now and saying he's going to have better personnel decisions after screwing it up for four years. Again, if the alternative is a Democrat, of course, but if the alternative is somebody decent, it's a hard argument to make. You had to, you had a shot at it. Well, I, he just did that. He did that interview with Dan Bongino, and it was almost a twenty-minute interview. <sighs> and you know, he was very open and candid about where he got everybody in his cabinet and everybody that was below him because he's not from Washington, D.C. He did not spend 20 years there. He didn't know the ins and outs of everybody there. You know, so a lot of those positions were people that were referred to him that he put in different places, you know, and he's explained, hey, I learned who the who who is who. Come on, Gina, you're going to accept. Just, I'm just saying, listen, you're going to you're going to believe him when he says that he was just naive. I mean, Schumer was at I'm his wedding. Saying, Hillary was at his wedding. Oh, guys, no, I'm sure he was. Hillary, Hillary wasn't on his staff. Hillary wasn't on his staff. Schumer's not on his staff. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the conservatives and the GOP. Do you know every single person right now that's in Washington? And no, well, but that just, no. that just goes to show that no, he, not was, hard he to was find never out. one of us. No, it's not hard to find out. But you, you know what? Until we're in that position, I don't know every single person in Washington. The I don't know if you, if you run as an outsider and win and get inside and then proceed to ask insiders what to do, that doesn't seem very bright. If I became president of the United States, the last person I would ask for any advice is somebody who's been in Washington. 
because going back to, you know, first hundred numbers in the phone book kind of a thing. So how he fell into that and what he thought Chris Christie is going to be great. And he thought his son-in-law is going to change his stripes. So, and I, I know that that's the excuse, but I don't buy it very far. He, he has that to, no, you have to assume he knew a lot of good people in the business world that he got to brought with. The business world are not the bureaucrats in Washington. The, you got to understand that the, the government is not a kingdom. It's, it's a bunch of, it, it, it's like, it's like a medieval kingdom back in the day where the barons had all the power and the king had to rule by like suggestion. Um, these agencies all are semi-independent. And unless you like understand like what they have to do, like what their, what their statutory requirements are, um, you, you will not end up um, being able to like stay within the law. So you have to get somebody in like the EPA who knows how the EPA runs, even if you want to dismantle all the EPA regulations. And I think in that case, he, he appointed someone who was good, but then that person, uh, I forget who it was, ended up like buying too much furniture or, you know. I can give you a bright line test. I can give you a bright line test for what for what'll tell me when that Trump is changing his stripes. Okay. And that, that's when he says, Operation Warp Speed was a mistake. Yeah. When he no, says that, true. I'll believe that he's changed his stripes. I look, look I mean, he, it's he, all window dressing. He arguably couldn't have put in somebody better than like a Betsy DeVos to the Department of Education, somebody who's unbelievably pro, pro uh, um, school choice, right? But what did, what did she do while she was there to actually tear things down and promote that agenda? Now, I, I don't know if you could say it was her, or the fact that she is up against a bunch of other bureaucrats there that he did nothing about. Yeah, I mean, all of these organizations, right, are run by themselves. Take the military, for instance. Obviously, the Millie, when he was in, he outright disobeyed uh, Trump. He uh, consorted with the enemies of the United States. He, um, you know, he actually uh, basically removed uh, Trump from his position as commander in chief. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, what are you going to do? Well, you have to fire him. Well, that's everybody in the government. You have to fire everybody. And if you say fire all the military, you know, fire every two star and above, just fire them all. They all should be fired anyway. Well, then, did you guys see that article I passed around? Wait. You basically Wait. do what Stalin did in 1938 and you leave yourself open to attack, right? That's the problem. You need to fire everybody. But you can't fire everybody. Did you guys see the article I shared around where uh, that you know Trump had actually put in uh, an executive order for for reclassifying federal employees so they could be more easily terminated and yeah yeah hopefully he's going to bring it back if he gets reelected. Yeah, hopefully he does because that's the only way to scare these people. People who I've make said, I've said for a while on this show that civil service reform is way more important than term limits. Well, um, uh, Obama did a very interesting thing, right? Obama uh, had a bunch of presidential appointees, which are prestigious, you know, Senate confirmed um, people in, in, you know, the higher echelons of the departments. And as he was going out, he transitioned them to be, um, you know, civil service. Quit. 
so he- <laughs> there's a lot of animals today. Um, so we, he, he put all this political people into the bureaucracy and a lot of these agencies. And that's basically what Trump should have done the moment he got elected was figure out how to fire all that. Um, but he didn't. So what can I tell you? Okay, last week somebody mentioned right after the show, we didn't get to discuss the Bannon case. So if anybody uh, to weigh in on that, I mean, I was truly shocked that he was convicted. I didn't see that coming at all. So uh, if anybody wants to comment on that. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he, was, he, he had three defenses and the judge who was a Trump appointee disallowed all of them. So if you're not allowed to put up a defense to your, uh, to your alleged crime, then you're going to get convicted. I, I don't see yeah. any. Now, the, he, he tried he's, to in a good, he's in a good position for appeal, obviously, but appeals are for losers. So that's and they're the also very, very expensive. Yeah. Well, he's but got a lot of money, so that's not. A big he does deal. have a lot of money. In the, in the story I read, he tried to assert executive privilege, right? But he wasn't even in the administration, even as an By the way, I know you guys keep arguing that, and I don't know who invented executive privilege, but the president should be able to speak to anybody he wants that's not a member of another branch privately. It makes no sense to restrict it to people that work for him. Yeah, that's the well, that's it. I mean, it, it, you're allowed to deliberate on policy privately. That's the point of executive. And purpose. it shouldn't have to be only with somebody in your administration. Right. That doesn't make any sense at all. But I'm just saying, I think in Washington, what they should do when they indict conservatives is save us the money and the trouble of the trial and just go from indictment to conviction. <laughs> I, again, I, I think that the. Uh, I think the Democrats are going down a very, very rocky path with this. They're acting like the Senate in Rome um, before Caesar. Uh, I mean, that's the entire reason Caesar, uh, you know, crossed the Rubicon was because he feared he was going to have an unjust prosecution when he came back to Rome. And uh, if they keep unjustly prosecuting members of the of the uh, opposite party, um, then heaven help us. Well, we don't have a Julius Caesar, okay? And whoever comes in across the Rubicon for us is gonna be a wimp and say, let's let bygones be bygones and hope they didn't pull the W's off the uh, keyboards. I, yeah, Caesar was a world historical figure. We don't have any of those, but the, but the truth is, if you get in the tit for tat, okay, now the next time the Republicans get in, maybe it's Trump and maybe he prosecutes all the Democrats, Mayorkas, uh, Garland, uh, Biden, um, maybe he prosecutes them for all of their things. I there was a, there was a report today that the FBI was uh, caught covering up the Hunter Biden um, and, and Joe Biden, the Hunter Biden and Joe Biden um, money laundering scam from China. There's a report that one of the text messages, I, and I saw the text message, I can't confirm that it's true, uh, from Hunter claimed that he was responsible for the burning and thus murder of the 30 or so American secret agents in China. Um, I mean, these are real crimes. And to the extent that Joe Biden is involved in them, they could put him you know, away for the rest of his probably short life. 
and same with Hunter and same with everybody else in the Democratic Party and the FBI and the DOJ. So you get this tit for tat. Then the next time the Democrats go in, they prosecute all the Republicans and eventually it ends up in civil war. There won't be any tit for tat. That's the whole problem. Like Steve is saying, the Republicans are are not they don't have the the guts to do what they really should be doing. The first thing they should be doing is impeaching. I Biden think that's over, true. I think that's true. I, over immigration for starters. I, I think that's true to a certain extent. And it was certainly true in the past. Um, and it's true in the Liz Cheney, Mike Pence, um, Adam Kinziger, vanishingly small wing of the Republicans. But no, no, the Republicans I've heard, even some of the more milquetoast ones are out for blood. No, they're not out for blood. They're verbalizing that they're out for blood. They're verbalizing. And when they get into office, they will settle down. And that's the No, they'll they'll have their hearings. They'll have their hearings and nothing will happen. Maybe they'll bring Trey Gowdy back. We'll see. Don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have too much faith. There was another story. I mean, there's just so many important stories out there. There's this story that China is placing Huawei equipment on cell towers to basically spy on and sabotage U.S. military bases. That's to me a really, really big deal. I I don't think that's a big deal in the sense of, of course, they're doing that. Um, I think it's a big deal is who is it who's letting them doing that? Well, well, yeah. Why are we? It's bad enough you can bug an embassy, but and make them at least bug us from 5000 miles away. But this, yeah. I mean, I saw DeSantis said something about he's going to not sell farmland or something to China. It's unbelievable what we're allowing to have happen. Coincidentally, of course, nothing to do with Hunter and China. But I, I mean, Ed Powell, you're probably the closest we have to an expert on these kind of issues. It's not scary. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's scary, I guess. Um, I. I, I guess it's scary. I, I certainly don't use my cell phone for anything, you know, um, important, right? I talk to my mom about her health, right? I mean, I, I, you know, but we'll see. I don't know. That's what I think is the more scary thing is not that they're putting spot, you know, spy towers by military bases, but they're putting all this electronic equipment into the hands of every American. And we're just giving them all of our personal information for free. Talking about TikTok? I'm talking about cell phones. I'm talking about electronic devices. I'm yeah. talking about how you might be talking about uh, going to 7-Eleven and all of a sudden you get an ad on your phone for 7-Eleven or wow. whatever other business. So those are two issues. And by the way, I, I don't disagree with you on those, obviously, but we're the idiots who sign up for that. The thing that's bothering about the China story, and that's why I want to know if it makes sense technologically, is they're talking about being able, because they're close, to sabotage missiles, flights, and that kind of a thing. And does that make sense? I don't think that makes sense, no, but I am not an expert in that sense, uh, in that uh, area. Because it'd be really, really scary if we ever had to scramble planes and all of a sudden China's got remote control of them all. Yes, that would be that would be very scary. And I've read that uh, novel, but I do not think that I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think that's not to downplay some of these concerns. But we always hear about what our enemies doing to us. We don't know what the hell we're doing to them. As much I guess the question uh, is, which American is buying up the hundreds of thousands of acres in China? Yeah, none. So the point is. Yes, we try to do things in every country, obviously, but we're literally inviting them in. Yeah, I mean, 
we're stupid in so many ways. And listen, here we are 20 plus years after 9-11 and people are crossing our border by the thousands every day. And obviously some of them are going to be terrorists. We, we know that some have been caught along the way, you know, so it's just a matter of time. It seems like something's going to happen, but we are stupid. Yeah, but we know they won't be smuggling in a bomb in their belts, shoes or laptops. So, <laughs> I mean, we're stupid, but it's also evil because that's, that's what this administration desires. They're quite content, obviously, to allow this to happen. Disgusting. I think there are a couple of other bigger China stories that we should talk about as long as we're talking about China. I mean, number one, I think Nancy Pelosi's proposed trip to Taiwan and China's threatening serious consequences if she goes. That seems like a pretty big story to me. Okay, now, so no tell Nancy me, what's Pelosi your opinion? Fan. Well, if we wanted to signal to Taiwan that we were going to betray them, I can't think of a better thing to do than to send Nancy Pelosi over to Taiwan. Um, well, the better thing to do would be to proposed to send Nancy to Taiwan and then buckle when the Chinese government says, don't send her. That would tell them we're not going to protect you at all. Yeah. I mean, this situation sort of reminds me of the, of the Kavanaugh situation. When Trump nominated Kavanaugh, I thought, what an awful idea. And then as soon as he, you know, he started getting attacked by the left, I said, okay, we got to defend him. And I feel the same way about Pelosi. I don't think she should have said she shouldn't have been going to Taiwan and she shouldn't have made a public announcement of it. But now that she has and the Chinese are threatening her, she should go and it should be with full fanfare. And we should put a big middle finger out to Xi and say, you want to fight a war? We'll fight a war. We have the right to go to Taiwan. We're not going to buckle under because you're uncomfortable with it. F off. But, you know. Yeah. Where do you think it's it's heading, Ed? Do you think they are going to buckle? I I see parallels to this with the situation a week before Russia invaded Ukraine, where Kamala Harris said that Ukraine needs to be in NATO about five days before the Russians invaded. And, and, and my, my fear is that if she goes, it's going to trigger a Chinese invasion or trigger events that lead to a Chinese invasion. That's where I think it's going. Well, remember, the Russians decided to invade. I mean, obviously, you could call anything off, but the Russians decided to invade, you know, last fall, again, due to the diplomatic stupidity of the State Department and the Biden administration. Um, and it took like six months for them to, to do that. And it, and it would take the Chinese this the same amount. Hopefully, we would not be that stupid this time. But I can never, you can never underestimate uh, the stupidity of the Biden administration. I don't know. Maybe General Milley called him up and said, you know what? The door's open. Come on in. Yeah. Well, that's depressing. Uh, And the other China story that I thought we were going to that we should talk about, which wasn't in the show notes, was Chinese tanks are apparently protecting out on the streets, protecting uh, Chinese banks from depositors who want their money back and can't get it. Tanks for banks, huh? Tanks for banks. That's what's apparently going on in various Chinese cities. Mm. Okay, Ed, and and what do you want to say about it? I think the economic situation in China is a lot worse than people realize. and More tenuous. I don't know worse. It's teetering, right? There's a difference between teetering and falling. 
I think it's teetering. Yes, but I mean, if there's if there's a run on the banks such that people want their money and the government is sending tanks out to yeah. prevent it from happening and locking cities down to prevent it from happening, I don't know. I'm not sure where the line between tenuous and, and worse is. Maybe it's on the other side. I don't know. But um, well, when you know, when people well, think we're, when people think of a recession, right? So we're we're going to be notified tomorrow that we're in a, a, a pre 2022 recession. Um, two negative quarters of growth. Um, yeah, when economists think of recession, they think of negative growth. When people think of recession, they think high unemployment, right? So um, that's what China has to fear, is if there's a crash that leads to business failure and thus unemployment. And and because uh, unemployed people are very, very unhappy and they don't have like lavish public benefits over there that they do here. So that's what a Chinese recession, bad situation would look like. And as far as I can tell, they're not there yet. Okay, well, so my question, it to the previous... my question was... to the Eds yeah. is... Go ahead, Steve. We, we're, we're heading towards a cashless society. I'm going to mention the Israeli story where they've now knocked it down to 6,000 shekel limit. A shekel is approximately three point something for the dollar. So let's say a little bit less than $2,000. Anything above that is illegal to pay in cash. You can't pay a contractor in cash. You can't pay so many things in cash. They're going to aggressively fine people. Mm -hmm. As we move towards a cashless society, you don't go to your bank to get your money anymore, right? Well, and can I ask you a qu surprise. question, not being an Israel expert on this? Because in the United States, when they make laws like this, in our system of anarcho-tyranny, the tyranny aspect is for the non-preferred groups, i.e. us. And the anarchy, they don't enforce it, is in the is, is in the preferred group. So in Israel, you know, are are they only going to enforce this law on Jews? But when Arabs give each other money, they, they're not going to enforce it. Because I, I can't imagine like they'd shut down every Arab and Palestinian economy if they didn't allow them to use cash. So they can't mean it unless they only mean it to Israelis. That's uh, really, I mean, okay. So first of all, there's Arabs with Israeli citizenship that they'd have a hard time ignoring. That's a very interesting point. Although the Supreme Court in Israel is pretty much like the courts here. They can literally have two different you know, outcomes for two different scenarios. But you probably remember if you followed Israel at all, when the prime minister resigned in the seventies because his wife was caught with dollars. So if Israel goes hard after this, they're going to make a lot of people very, very uncomfortable. But my point with China is how much money do people still have in banks that isn't electronic? And can't China just cut it off by pulling plugs on banks? Just pull out the plug from the wall. Well, they're moving towards cashless. The Olympic Village for the Beijing Olympics was all cashless, but they're not quite there yet. Um, you know, I was going to say while you before you were speaking, Steve, that tying the two stories together, you know, bad economic times often lead dictatorships to pursue warlike policies abroad. So that's another reason for me to be concerned for Taiwan, even if Ed P thinks that they need more time to prepare for an invasion. I mean, so physically, if we wanted money from our banks, I guess we'd all head to ATM machines. And if there's no they money, they can shut them down. If there's they're, no they're, money, they're, in there, they're usually they're, capped anyway. You, I'm sorry, they're capped as well. You normally you're not going to just be able they're to. They're capped to something, but the point yeah. is, you don't need to have a tank there. All you have to do is 
you know, screw up the software code or something. So I don't even under quite understand why you need tanks. Well, because they're not quite there yet. That's well, why. I mean, the look, no it happened in the United States. States too. When a bank has no cash to give out or has a limited amount, the people line up. And when the last person gets his cash and there's no cash left, the rest of the people in line could very well get violent against the bank. And therefore you need some sort of police presence. And I think tanks probably going overboard, but maybe they wanted to show a strength. I mean, I don't know. I rarely go to a bank. I kind of move my money on my computer. So- It, may, it makes you think how much simmering unrest is going on in China. You start seeing tanks rolling down the street, you know? Right, and they know what tanks mean in China. Yeah. Which is interesting, you know, how far will Chinese people go when they know that the government has no problem running them over with a tank? Probably not too far. Okay, any more China stories? No, those are the stories that I wanted to make sure I we think, talk about. I think, again, the important part of the China stories to me is the canary in the coal mine, just like the Israeli story on cashless, is how far away are we from this happening? And would we stand up to our government much more than they do? Well, we didn't. We didn't. And, you know, getting to your point about the cashless society, Steve, once they introduce a digital currency, we won't be able to resist. They'll just turn our bank off, turn our card off. They'll prevent us from, from accessing our money entirely. Right. And we're not, where are we going to go? We're going to go to banks. I mean, banks are kind of meaningless. Where do you go to get your money if it's all digital? Right. But you have a card. You're not going to be able to escape, you know, their chains or their surveillance. Right. Now, Ed, I know you talk a lot about the um, reserve currency. There were stories out this week that China, Russia, I think Iran were meeting about making a new reserve currency. Did you see that? Yeah, the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And is that something that looks like it's going to happen? Uh, they're trying to. I I think I'm in a little bit of a minority. I, I, I don't think that they can, I think they might be able to put something together, but I don't think the rest of the world is going to trust them. I don't think that uh, their, their banks and their, their currencies are going to be trustworthy the way the dollar is for all the distrust of, you know, federal, you know, us inflationary policies. At least people know that a dollar is a dollar right now. Um, you know, for instance, the Chinese yuan is not even, you can't even take it out of the country. Why would somebody want to hold that even as a basket of, of a reserve currency? Why would you want to put your wealth in something that can't be taken out of China? Yeah, I mean, there is the thing that was um, noted in, in the American Great Depression uh, called regime uncertainty. And, and the investment is depressed if you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the next month out of a crazy regime that seems to doing random things, which is what FDR was doing during the depression. And so that depressed economic growth too. And I think that regime uncertainty is, is you know, relatively high in the United States, but it's way higher in like China or Russia or uh, countries like that. I mean, because anything could happen tomorrow. South Africa? <clears throat> well, South Africa, I mean, is, is basically toast, so. It's a banana republic. Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna make a, a a full effort for it. But you know, I mean, put yourself you know put yourself as a Saudi prince. Do you want dollars or do you want Chinese yuan or do you you know do you want some basket of currencies that's comprised of you know China's currency, Russia's currency, Brazil, South Africa? I, I mean, I. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think that the Saudis are going to want that. Maybe they will. Okay, the, so the, the Saudis, I don't understand a lot of that. The Saudis and, but... and the United States and Israel and some of the other Gulf countries have built a kind of a pseudo alliance against the Shiites in Iran and and Syria and Hezbollah and Lebanon and and to a certain extent, the the Sunnis you know, Hamas in Gaza. And Obama tried to undermine it and Biden is trying to undermine it, but it's still there. There's still this pseudo alliance of the United States providing arms and training and equipment, planes and, uh, you know, drones and stuff to these, to these Arab countries. And, I, you know, whether we should be doing that or not is a completely different question, but, um, I tend to think that the Saudis wouldn't throw us over for the Russians or the Chinese, given how poor the Russian equipment has uh, worked in um, in Ukraine. And, and of course, most of the Chinese equipment is knockoff of the Russians. So I doubt that the Saudis would throw us over. Although I, I you know, I'll put nothing past Biden to spoil our relationship. The euro was basically created out of thin air, wasn't it? Sort of. I mean, it was created like all fiat currencies, but it it's backed it's backed by a basket of other things. It's backed by. So, what stops these BRICS countries from making their type of a euro, and why wouldn't that come on strong? Well, nothing would stop them from making the euro, but I mean, the euro is is backed by the European Central Bank, which is mostly Germans mostly who are known for their, you know, post-1923 uh, anti-inflation stance, mostly. I mean, everything's a scam, right? But I'm, they're, they seem like they're more reasonable than other people. So, I mean, how do you get the BRICS countries to nominate someone who will not do something. I mean, we had Alan Grainspan and he did something terrible, right? He was, <laughs> he was supposed to be hard money, he wrote an essay on how, how gold only only gold-backed currency is, is reasonable. And then when he got in charge, he inflated the currency wildly and caused the 2008 crisis. How, how do you find, uh, if you have no culture of anti-inflation, and Germans do after 1923, so I, how do you even do that? I don't even know how you do that. Well, I, I, I agree with you, Ed, about the inflation position, but I think it's more than that. I mean, if you, in order to submit to somebody else having a, a reserve currency, you sort of have to trust them. I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, I mean, would, would you allow yourself to be adopted, you know, have, have China as your adopted daddy? And, yeah. and I just don't think when you look at all those countries in the BRICS, I mean, who of those countries would you trust? I mean, well, I mean, if I were Saudi Arabia, can't trust the European countries either. Uh, wait, if I were Saudi Arabia, I could, um, I could make a, a currency tomorrow. We're going to call it the barrel, one barrel, and it's backed by a barrel of oil. And you get this piece of paper, and if you go to Saudi Arabia or whatever, you can trade that in for a barrel of oil. You get that. So completely backed by 
something hard. Now, oil isn't the best thing, but let's say they do that. Um, one, it'd have to be tested. That is, people would have to be able to go there with their barrel certificates and get a barrel. And the second thing is that the Saudi government would have to stop um, deficit spending, which they've been doing quite a lot lately over the last 10 or 15 years, because deficit spending requires inflation and they would have to stop. And the problem with these countries, all the BRICS countries, is that they're deficit spending all the time. China okay, deficit guys, spends, Russia. I got to interrupt you here. First of all, I got to get my answer from Ed. What do you all mean right. they trust? And B, we're the reserve currency and we owe two to $300 trillion. And we have the worst deficit spending of probably any country in the history of the universe. So why do they need to be any more? I think my answer to trust is the answer to that question. It's it's not about trust on economic issues. It's do, do you trust that they're not going to kill you? Do you trust that they're not going to assassinate you? Do you trust? I don't know. Let's ask the Afghanis that we ditched and let's ask another 50 okay. alliances. That we do. Trust for what? Do you trust? I think that if if I'm living in El Salvador, I'm more willing to say, OK, if I'm willing to trust the Germans. I'm willing to trust the West Europeans with their euro or the Americans with their dollar than I am the Russians or the Chinese or uh, or the South Africans. I mean, maybe they would, maybe South, Central Americans might trust Brazil. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I just, it's not, I mean, I think Ed is right that it's about economic trust, but it's, it's more about political trust. Do you trust that the country is going to survive? Do you trust that you can go there and redeem your money for goods and take your goods out and, and not be killed? I mean, okay. I wouldn't trust that I could go and take my barrel, as Ed called it, and go to Saudi Arabia to buy, you know. Well, what's backing your bar. dollar? I don't understand. What backs the dollar? It's not about what you're, you're talking about an economic argument. You can take your dollar. If you get your dollar in, in El Salvador and you come to America, you can still buy a hamburger and, and still go back home and be OK. If I got my barrel and went to Saudi Arabia and bought a hamburger, I might get my hamburger, but then I might have my head chopped off. There's also 240 years of, of tradition behind the dollar. That that makes up for a lot, right? Uh, and even though it's not justified. Well, we haven't been the reserve currency for 240 years, if I'm not mistaken. And we're irresponsible as any country in the history of the world. Our foreign policy is probably less consistent than any other country, simply by the fact that every time we elect a president, the entire foreign policy switches from one extreme to the other. Presidents nowadays say, I couldn't care less what the other president promised you. I'm going to do what I feel like. So in what way is America trustworthy? Okay, well, that requires like a 20 minute lesson history, which I'm not going to give because I'm the one constantly saying these things should be shorter. So I, I, I will defer that. But it all ha it all comes out of World War One, like almost all the awful things. And, and so the trusting Steve, I mean, why are you doing none of it in the United States? Why aren't you in China right now? Why aren't you in South Africa? Because right now I have a little more freedom in America than I do in China. And but that's why, and that's the trust that I'm talking about. You okay, that's not talking, what you're you're talking about political trust. That's not yes, what you're you talking about political saying. trust. Because oh, economic, yes. economically, none of it is trustworthy. Right. And foreign policy, none of it's trustworthy. So you're saying trust in our freedom? More so than China, yes. And how bad is Brazil? 
of all the BRICS countries with the with Bolasaro leading Brazil, they're probably the best one, but uh, I wouldn't trust Brazil either. Okay, again, I, I don't understand this kind of economics, but it's not about, like I said, economics is part of it. Ed is correct that, ger that the German experience with inflation and the Germans being in charge of the ECB, European Central Bank, makes the euro a much more desirable currency for those reasons. I, I guess, again, maybe it's because I have a dangerous amount of little knowledge. But if I remember correctly, Germany's fixing inflation post-1923 involved a tiny thing called the Third Reich and 60 million people die. So I'm not sure what makes Germany trustworthy in any sense whatsoever, having tried to destroy all the civilization twice. You're trying to say that the, that the Third Reich is still alive and viable in Germany? No, right I'm saying what is trustworthy about Germany in any sense whatsoever? Well, I, don't, I mean, your, your question is, do you worry about being put in a gas chamber if you go to Germany today? I worry about. No, going I do not. But I got to tell you something. I would tell you that Germany is more likely to go that route under the worst possible conditions than many other countries. Why would I say that? Because they've done it. So, do I think it's going to happen tomorrow? No. What but about you? You're saying that they might do it, but China is doing it today. South Africa is doing it today. So, if you're talking about trust, I'm going to trust the Germans more than I'm going to trust. The Chinese or the South Africans. Um, Ed, I don't want to get involved in a, in a Holocaust uh, argument, but you do know Jews were in Germany for a thousand years and they trusted the Germans. And in 1937, 8, 9, 40, 44 in Hungary, they were still trusting the Germans. They would never do it to us. We are a thousand years. It can never happen. So no, I don't trust the Germans. And how many January Sixers need to be in solitary confinement for how long? before we say we're no better even than that in China. I'm not defending America as perfect. I'm answering your question about what's the trust that we're talking about. Or is it just legacy trust? Is it just, well, we always trusted them, so we keep trusting them? No, I still think America is a freer country than China is. I, I, I trust my freedoms here more than I would if I were in okay, China. But then, then go back to my question the other way. Why isn't the euro the world's reserve currency? They're, they were trying to make it. I mean, the, the biggest problem with the euro is that you've got all these competing governments and competing factions. They're not, it's not really a common culture. There's no real common European culture. And people in Europe don't trust the Germans in the same, for some of the same reasons you don't trust the Germans. But the euro is probably the second, the euro and the yen are probably two and two A for the, the second and third you know, most trusted currencies on the, on the planet right now. And I mean, you know, the yen has got its own problems, but. OK, so you're you're convinced that we don't have to worry about losing that status and that doesn't change if we go to digital currency. That makes no difference. I'm not convinced that we don't have to worry about losing that status. Uh, and, and in fact, in many respects, it would almost be beneficial for the Americans to lose that status because we would stop having all the trip. I don't know, we would stop having trade deficits, but we could begin the process of, uh, of ending the trade deficits and bringing manufacturing home if we got rid of the dollar as the reserve currency. The offshoring of manufacturing is a direct result of the dollar being the world reserve currency and of foreigners needing to accumulate dollars. 
They accumulate dollars by producing goods that we want to buy. That's how it works. Well, I'm not entirely sure I buy into the economics of that, but the, uh, the reserve currency uh, status basically is a free lunch for the United States. We get to deficit spend um, and push our inflation out to uh, the other countries. And it would, if it wasn't the reserve currency anymore, our ability to deficit spend would be greatly reduced, which would be a good thing, but yes. of course it would cause the collapse of the government. So that would be a bad thing depending on what replaced it. So, you know. Well, I mean, you know, this, it would be sort of like, you'd have the situation where the, you know, you have American states that, for, you know, there are some states are better than others, but states can't print money. States can't deficit spend the way the federal government can. And oh, they do yes. deficit spend. They just get ba- bailed out every eight years from the next Democratic president. What do you think the New Jersey the has stimulus a balanced was, budget amendment? The, the, right. <laughs> the Obama stimulus was the the Clinton stimulus was all bail out their cronies in these blue states. I mean, right, but the but the states are supposed to be and and at least for part of the time have more have to enforce more discipline than the federal government. The federal government doesn't have to impose any discipline and. I think that that financial and fiscal discipline would be a good thing for the federal government to have to exhibit. Oh, absolutely. If the federal government survived, yes, it, it would absolutely be, you know. Hey, listen, we got a, almost a $7 billion surplus in New Jersey now, apparently. It's wonderful how that happened. Yeah, how did that happen? Mm. Uh, the feds gave them the money. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure they're going to give it back to the constituents. Mm. We'll, we'll be waiting a long time. They'll give it to them. All right, Steve. Couldn't <laughs> hard. You know, well, I mean, Bohica. Bohica. The story that I talked about a little bit last week, which again, we're way ahead of the curve and more and more people yelling about the chutzpah of Adams and Bowser complaining about immigrants and they can't afford them and they need the feds to bail them out. And that kind of links up with this story that, the states know the feds will always bail them out as long as they continue to do the lefty type things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What? Look at, look at my sympathy. <laughs> I think they should yeah. all be sent there. I got one firsthand report and one not firsthand report that New York city's current smell is pretty much worse than ever in history. Smell like like wandering the streets. Smell. Smell like people urinating on the streets. Smell. Mm-hmm. Well, I walked up Eighth Avenue a few months ago uh, from Penn Station to uh, <coughs> the theater district, and it was not a pleasant experience. But I didn't smell any urine. It's supposed to be oh. really really bad because remember they decriminalized it. Yeah, Public urination or something, and right. it's and hot. It's, well, now, it's, now it's really hot. So, yeah. Ah, yes. It's, uh, yeah, I'm lucky. I don't think the wind blows from Manhattan to Queens very often, or it can't get out of Manhattan possibly. But all right. A couple more stories that I wanted to touch on. Um, the Supreme Court with Elena Kagan's uh, legitimacy, legitimacy of the Supreme Court is at risk when it strays from public opinion. Ed Maslisch, I'll give you that curveball. Number one, the Supreme Court doesn't, shouldn't be concerned with its image. It should be concerned with getting things right. Number two, for me and for us as a show, 
the more the Supreme Court sullies its image, the better I think we are because the Supreme Court's not doing its job and it's not protecting our liberties. So I, I'm not really concerned about them uh, losing yeah, their legitimacy. I mean, who says the Supreme Court has any legitimacy? <laughs> well, it does when it votes the correct way. It hasn't I'm voted sure the correct it does, way. Because even when it votes the correct way, I don't think it has the correct reasoning. Yeah, one out of a hundred times. No, I mean the correct way when it votes on the left, when it, you know, does it. Look, if, if, if it votes once out of every hundred cases that uh, have constitutional, it, um, you know, issues involved, uh, quote unquote, the correct way, which means the right outcome for the right reason, I would be shocked. No, I'm talking about the left way. When I say they're voting the correct way, I mean, they're in cahoots with Schumer and his gang. Got that's it. when they're legitimate, because that's when the left is legitimate. I'm yeah, appalled. We, should, we, should, we shouldn't care. I, I just, so I'm wrong to be appalled that a Supreme Court justice isn't embarrassed to be so publicly ignorant about the role of the Supreme Court. Oh, come on. Look, remember a Ruth, St. Ruth Bader Ginsburg when asked uh, uh, during the Egyptian um, unrest a while ago, you know, what kind of constitution, you know, the Egyptians should have. And she said, oh, something like the South African constitution. I don't know whether you've read the South African constitution, but it's mm -hmm. a mess, right? So, um, I mean, she should have been impeached right then. Like the, the next morning, they should have impeached her for saying that. So, uh, yeah, there's no legitimacy along the left anyway. So I don't care. Right. That's what I was going to say. I mean, forget about legitimacy. They're shameless. Yeah. I mean, doesn't nothing they do surprises me. Well, yeah, I guess not, I mean, not much legitimacy. There's not much legitimacy for the other branches either. So we should we should take them at their <laughs> word. And OK, yeah, the Supreme Court is, is illegitimate. Let's let, why don't we disband it? Why don't we limit its jurisdiction? Well, that's what they're trying to do with abortion, aren't they? Uh, I'm not a, I'm not aware of uh, legislation to cut off. There are politicians talking about it. I don't think there's any legislation being specifically proposed, but there are loudmouths out there saying maybe we should take abortion out of their jurisdiction. Out of, from the states? No, from the Supreme Court. Oh. I mean, have the Congress well, take abortion out of their jur jurisdiction, which is one of their article in power. You know, they tried that with um, flag burning. They tried that with a number of things in the Supreme Court. And lower courts have simply ignored it. They, they tried it with um, the uh, the Terry Schiavo case was one where they uh, tried that, and and the uh, and the prisoners of war in Guantanamo Bay they tried that. They passed laws saying Supreme Court has no jurisdiction over the um, prisoners at Guantanamo Bay, and the courts have completely ignored it, including the military courts. They just completely ignored the law. Isn't that what they used to call a constitutional crisis? Well, I think you know Mark Levin in his Liberty Amendments has this idea where there should be a sort of a constitutional court sort of made up by, you know, like one appointee per state, something like that, to to deal with, the, to take the constitutional issues out of the federal government's jurisdiction and put them in sort of a check by the states on the feds. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I think that's a Band-Aid, but it might be a decent Band-Aid. I don't know. You know, I have a lot of opinions on his amendments, but the Supreme Court can rule the Constitution unconstitutional. So, what, Gina? Well, I, I just want to bring up. So, I just saw an article, and this is the first time I had seen it today. 
So it looks like Biden has possibly agreed to a swap, a uh, prisoner swap to get Brittany Griner out of the Russian prison. Have yeah. you guys seen that already? I was going to bring that up too. Go, go ahead. Oh, of yeah. course. She's yes, the new rule. So, she's part of the new ruling class. <laughs> right. And what is the get, offering to swap? Huh? What is offering to swap Russian weapons trafficker Victor Bout, yeah. who was charged with terrorism. So here we go. We're supposed to. A, the, yeah, we're supposed to swap people that were rightfully imprisoned here for people who. Can we give Chelsea Manning back? You know, maybe weren't so much over there. No, no, she was rightfully imprisoned over there. I mean, I think 10 uh, yeah. years is a little well, long, but exactly. I mean, she should go I mean, to prison. Look, I mean, I read the story a little bit. You know what she did, apparently? She she had some cannabis on her. I mean, she's not a drug dealer. You know, they caught her, they caught her with something on her. In, in the United States, we're talking like about her ten... above the law, and she thought she okay. could go to Russia and be above the law. And she wasn't. She claims it was an accident. Yeah, How was it an accident? He was, she was rushing the path. How was it an accident? Look, listen, you go to another country, yeah, you're subject to their laws. I mean, obviously, 10 years for something like that is absolutely insane. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to mean and maintained in Singapore. But in Singapore, yeah. the point is, if you go there, right, somebody when, else when in Rome, do as the Romans or something like that. You're, you're there, you're subject to, the, to their laws. You know, there's a lot uh, of these of course, reports. Now, now we're, we're going to look to trade people who were obviously real Bad criminals, guys. criminals rightfully imprisoned here for somebody like that. There is uh, a lot of the, these reports of people throwing their, um, you know, their uh, travel bag onto the airport scanner and, and their firearm is in it and they get into a whole lot of trouble, usually not as much trouble as 10 years in prison. Um, because it's, you know, it is an honest mistake. But on the other hand, how the hell do you make that mistake? I mean, you, uh, yeah. if you have firearms, you better be damn careful, you know, where every firearm is every second of every day. And you don't like throw a bag that might have a firearm in it onto the x-ray scanner at the airport. That's just stupid. Why was she going there in the first place? Was she taking a yeah, was she taking a job? Yeah. Yeah. No, she was there. For ed she's education, played, she's played, ed educational she's played there purposes. for seven She's played there for seven years. It's nothing new. She's been going to Russia. She knows the rules. Seven seasons she's played there. This was not just a little trip that she was going. She's an off-season league that she plays there. I thought she was just in the WNBA. No, she's cool, man. She's no, in the no, Russian no. People actually watch the Russian league. Really? <laughs> it can must be they, after they, they drink all that vodka, Ed. Nobody can sit through it. It doesn't matter if it's in Russia or here. What, Steve? Would they take LeBron James? Sure <laughs> I wish. I, you know, it's funny. People um, always talk about the uh, American women's soccer team that, that lost to like a high school boys team, right? Um, and I, I would like to see the WNBA champions take on a local uh, boys basketball team. Uh, that that would be a game I would, I would uh, pay real money for, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's such like a McDonald's all Americans. High school all Americans. I think. No, McDonald's just high random high school team like the one here in Fairfax. Take them on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only other story I wanted to mention, and I don't follow One American News or One American Network, whatever it's called, but they were chucked off Verizon. Is that a big deal? 
Well, as far as I saw it, just it was contracts that were not agreed upon. So it's kind of like Royside Broadcasting was kicked off of Dish Network and AT&T this past January. So I just I don't know where OAN is going to go besides being on the web, if they're going to do something that's more like Newsmax, where you can watch for free. or if it's I think just they got kicked to... off of DirecTV, which is what I have as well. And Did they come off of that? Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I, it was... I, I think, you know, obviously there's politics behind this as well as money. But on the other hand, who watches television news anyway? So, I, I, uh, you yeah, know, I mean, we're, I'm not that old. I mean, God, I mean, you got to be like in your 70s or 80s to watch television news. And I'm not that old. I'm not sure yeah, if I know any anyone who watches OAN. People that watch the OAN are people. But it's people, OAN are people that are going to be watching the Trump rallies streamed live, conservative events like Turning Point, you know, their different yeah. events being streamed live. So that that is a thing. It's another conservative outlet. That's why that contract was not reached. Simple you don't think it's Honestly, I just I wish we were at a point where you just had a menu before you. And if you want OAN and you want this, you want you pay for that, you pay for this. You know, I mean, it's, a la carte. Yeah, I mean, it stinks to be subject. I have YouTube TV. If I were a Yankee fan, I'd have to get rid of it because they don't have yes. They had a big spat with them a few years ago. Uh, MSG Network, too. Don't have it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's frustrating when you're looking for something that you want. And you, you can't get it and you have to settle. Otherwise, you're you're dealing with the cable companies and all their nonsense for their overpriced but they don't want you to see. They don't want you to see it. Oh, they I don't would, want you to see it. I would cancel my DirecTV subscription tomorrow. Today, I would cancel it right now. Except for you know who. So I, I don't want to tell. I you. don't know who. Tucker, my no. wife. My wife. Of ah. course. my wife. <laughs> I was close. <laughs> and I watch Tucker on the you know Fox News app or the whatever it's called. I lied. One more story I wanted to mention was the med students walking out of a pro-life speaker. Uh, what a joke. Yeah, Ann Arbor. What's that? I was just saying that was University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. And the lady that was speaking did was not even talking about, she wasn't there regarding the pro-life movement. Like that is not what she was even there for. People are so flipping ignorant anymore. It's right, just my, we, know, we, we know the medical profession in so many ways. You know, the journals being taken over by the woke and med schools being taken over. This is not speaking well for those of us who want to be alive and be seeing these doctors in 20 years. They're going to be so. I kind of had the opposite reaction to that story, though, because the story said that the students pressured the administration to not let her not let her speak. And the administration said, no, we're, we're going to have this diversity of viewpoints here. And I thought that was actually a positive development. Well, that part's great. I'm just saying the students themselves that walked out that that, that were that flipping ignorant. It, that's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, why can't they have their own views? I mean, as long as the university- But why did they have paid. to come to begin with and get up and interrupt during it? If you didn't like it, don't come to begin with. Why come well, and cause that, the same That's thing? narcissistic that you get to have your little show and there you are on social media. Yeah. Everybody gets to see you. But again, you know, I'm from the old school that used to think doctors were sort of an elite in many ways, and they're just a bunch of babies, and they've worked this hard in their lives, and this is what they're doing. Where are standards for them as people? And that's kind of what scares me. Civility is gone, and um, I think the, you know, the Dobbs decision has really upset uh, people. 
um, young women, especially uh, young single women, uh, are very upset by it. I'm not that they lack means of contraception or abortion themselves, but um, they're very upset by it. So I, I think they're acting out in a narcissistic way. Um, I think it's not Ooh. nice. But. So remember that nurse a few months ago that was poking somebody with too big a needle? I can't remember what it was she was upset about. She ended up being fired, but she was putting in too thick um, IV needles or something. I guess, are we looking at the point where even if hospitals officially say you have to treat everybody equally, we're just going to have doctors saying, I'm not treating Ed Powell. He was on the conservatarian exchange. Screw him. I think that's where we're going. That's beyond scary, isn't it? Yes, but I think that's where we're going. This is a, that's the giant, um, you know, uh, resorting. It's going to continue to happen. I mean, I think somebody wrote a story about the Hippocratic Oath, you know, only applies right now to, to the people we agree with. That used to be pretty much across the board. I mean, you know, Israeli doctors literally treat terrorists the second they try to kill them. And whatever else I think, at least it follows the Hippocratic Oath. Maybe it's dumb. But if that doesn't count for anything anymore. I think we're out of that. I don't want to tell you, everything's political with communists, right? So. Exactly. Okay. Mike, which story did we miss? Um, you know, the, all that stuff about the monetary policy and, and uh, you know, the currency and everything. I was thinking about Europe. And, Ed, you know this. We saw a story from a friend on Facebook this week about how Germany is in all kinds of trouble because, okay, they're rational when they choose all this green energy nonsense. They're, they're, they're totally shooting their, themselves in the foot. They're talking about all kinds of job cuts, people, you know, losing their, their livelihood. And it's all because of their totally irrational, you know, stupid pursuit of green energy nonsense. And, you know, now they're complaining, obviously, they're not, they're not getting their energy from Russia with everything that's going on. Well, you did it to, your, you did it to yourself. Yep. You know, and now now they're going to complain about it. And so how are you supposed to trust them with your money? You're talking about as how, the currency, the reserve currency, the euro being a reserve currency and the Germans being. Yeah. Yeah. I'm drawing a little bit of an equivalence there. I mean, we, you know what I mean? So you can't I mean be we're also we're trying to cripple. We can't be trusted, too, aren't we? Yeah, of course we are. That's why I said before, none of it's trustworthy, right? It's all degrees of lack of trust. Right? I mean, if Germany really is cold in the winter, what's the worst you think that would lead to? Mass death. Yeah. But not uprising. Possibly, but... Like in Sri Lanka? It's hard for people that don't have guns and don't have food and don't have energy to, to stage an uprising, but maybe... I mean, at least those who haven't melted from the heat wave. Well, at least if they've melted, if this whole cannibalism thing is like on the uptick, we'll be able to get rid of the bodies easy, right? Wow. 
<laughs> but can I say whose body I'd like to get rid of? Not that I'd like to kill her, but it's time for them to just go. And that'll be my um, story. So Whoopi Goldberg um, is an idiot again. <laughs> again. And The View, I hope to goodness, will not only successfully be sued by Kyle Rittenhouse, but now by Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA um, for defamation. So um, there was a group of neo-Nazis um, that came and protested outside of this latest Turning Point event. And uh, anyway, so they played the clips of, you know, the Turning Point staff actually coming out and confronting these guys. But The View, of course, had to say, oh, they welcomed them in and DeSantis didn't do this. Like DeSantis has nothing to do with anything, you know, besides him being a speaker there. And uh, so, yeah, we'll be in, in her glorious self again you know it's just like oh they let these nazis in and they're responsible <laughs> after they had to read the disclaimer <laughs> you know so it, it was just it's lovely and i hope to Did god they, read a disclaimer? they, they had to it? yes they well they had to but it's like literally within an eighth of a second of them reading that Whoopi was like well you know since they didn't say anything it, it it was what they were wanting. They they invited them in. They didn't stand up against them. So it's the same thing, or however she worded it, like literally an eighth of a second after it. So well, yeah, Whoopi, Whoopi is an internationally recognized authority on Nazis, if we remember. Correctly. I know she is. So. Ed, does that a suit like that have a, have a chance? Depends on the facts, but yeah, I think so. Get them. Get her. Maybe she looks like a he sometimes. So get he or she. Yes. And of course, you're not suing her. You're suing the show, right? Suing both. Suing all of them. Oh, and take Disney down with them because I think they own ABC. (laughs) Take them all down. Sorry, I got excited. I I like passion, Gina. Okay, Ed P. Well, I like to talk today about one of the greatest human beings uh, to have ever lived. His name is uh, Norman Borlaug, and he was an agronomist who, among other things, developed drought-resistant and disease-resistant wheat and techniques for um, fertilizing wheat uh, with injecting nitrogen-based fertilizers into the soil um, that caused what was called the Green Revolution and enabled countries like India and to a certain extent, Africa, before the environmentalists got to it, to uh, grow enough uh, wheat to feed their people. And he is credited with saving over 2 billion lives through his technologies and is thus one of the greatest, uh, you know, a real, you know, humanitarians um, in, or philanthropist, as it were, in the history of the world. So, um, His uh, green revolution is now under attack in the Netherlands and in Canada and in other places around the world where the environmentalists and the WEF um, control because they want to cut the amount of nitrogen used to um, be injected into the soil as as fertilizer. And this will cause a a 30% decrease in crop yields. Um, And since a lot of the crops are used to feed animals, the animal herds would have to be culled and uh, there would, you know, would grotesquely raise the price of meat. So the anti-Borlaug revolution or the anti-green revolution or the the green anti-green revolution is going to cause uh, 
massive starvation and we're going to get one of the greatest villains in the world um, if they undo what Borlaug did because uh, undoing what he did will cause more than 2 billion deaths, un unnecessary deaths um, because the population is much greater nowadays. So, you know, I want to tip my hat to Mr. Borlaug and I want to fight the anti-Borlaug people with every amount of my energy and imagination. Right, but you're, you are assuming that the death of 2 billion people is a net uh, negative. Uh, I, as you know, I mean, if you're one of those 2 billion people dead, that's probably a neg negative. Right, unfortunately, too many people in this world think we have too many people in this world. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I don't think that that's some unfortunate consequence. I think that's their goal. That's the plan, I mean, yeah. You know, and I think that the skyrocketing meat prices and killing off the herds is also part of their goal. I mean, I think that's part and parcel. I mean, they, they claim that the herds are contributing to global warming with the flatulence of the herds, especially the cows. And that's that's their stated purpose, that they want to call the herds to reduce global warming. I, I, I think that it's all it's all part of the plan. And it's so all part of the. What's that, Mike? We have to kill people to save the other people save the planet the save planet. the planet the planet right and now it's dual use i was about to go there there's less people spewing carbon dioxide and more food because now we can eat the people right well, well, i mean i th that story though sort of feeds into things that i've been saying for for a long time that i think that we're being led into a manufactured crisis and i think it's it's intentional well it's definitely intentional and luckily the Farmers in the Netherlands are fighting back. And um, I think even the Canadians are roused from their stupefaction. Um, I, if it was done to the United States, if that was one of Biden's executive actions um, to uh, you know, uh, fight off the Supreme Court's ruling in the EPA case, um, I, I think you know the results, the electoral results would be absolutely catastrophic for the Democrats. Um, so I'm not sure whether he's going to do it or not. I'm, I think so, he would want to, but I don't think he would. When, when he declares the climate emergency, uh, you know, people are, are going to get upset or, or I think, you know, they're already upset at the price of meat and the price of gas. And if he did that, I think the farmers would uh, learn from their cousins in the Netherlands. Adam, a uh, couple things. I think uh, I sort of wanted to aggregate a bunch of stories from your from your notes, Steve. I think that um, you know we're seeing states like Texas and I think Oklahoma and maybe Missouri are trying to not just ban abortion within their own state borders, but they're trying to extend their reach outside their borders. You had a story about, uh, I think it was Texas wants to criminalize lawyers that provide help and advice to anyone who, who leaves the state to get a legal abortion in another state. Um, and likewise on the, you know, just to show it's not just a, a right side problem. Uh, there are states that are doing that with guns. I think California is doing that with guns. 
I think New Jersey was talking about doing that. I think some other states also. And I think it's sort of an ominous sign that uh, nobody is accepting federalism. Everybody's sort of assuming that they're just trying to find a new way to impose their will on other people and on other states. And we're, we're not we're not moving in a direction of live and let live. We're not moving in a direction of allowing federalism to function properly. And that's a really ominous sign. I mean, I know that we've got people on our show and in our uh, in our group that are all for separation and you know dissolution of the union and secession. That's really what what's going on. I mean, we're sort of early stage of that. I don't know if that's going to take hold, but that's the unmistakable trend that I see uh, from those from those policies. Um, so I wanted to mention that. And then, you know, we're talking about financial and economic news. You know, the Fed raised interest rates again today, three quarters of a point. Um, and, you know, I think that everybody seems to be happy. The markets seem to like it. Um, we'll see how long it lasts and how far it goes. Um I, I suspect that uh, that that they're trying to draw money in that's sitting on the sidelines right now. Um, but I don't. I mean, Jerome Powell's an interesting guy, and I'm going to be watching him over the next you know the next couple of months, see what he does. And uh, you know, I think the markets think that Powell is in the on the side of capitalism, and that. The rate hikes are going to fight inflation and preserve capitalism. Um, I think that's what a good Fed chairman would be doing. That's what Volcker did 40 years ago. Um, I don't think we have enough information about, about Powell. Uh, I still think that he's going to reverse course. I still think inflation is going to be is going to win out, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think it's just worth noting that, you know, what's going on and we should just remember what's going on. Okay. So with that, we will close for the day. At least for me, this was an incredibly informative show. So I thank my teachers for that. It was fun. Wish everybody else a wonderful afternoon and see you all next week, regular time. Have a great evening.